a listener production. You are listening to episode 120 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring West Coast Eagle Nick Natanui. Let's jump into it. What was your first game of organised footy? Can you remember it or not? Yeah, I played at the Midvale Junior Footy Club. I was about under four, tens or 11s, I reckon it was. Um, yep. I, only, I think I only played one or two games that year. And, uh, yeah, I played in a pair of sneakers. They were... Um, they were the old Dunlop volleys I'd, I'd got from Target, so <laughs> they had no sort of um, uh, traction underneath. They were sliding everywhere, and oh, I looked like a just a born, just a freshly born baby giraffe. So I, um, yeah, it didn't go too well, mate. You got drafted number two pick behind Jack Watts. I, I talked to Nat Fife about this. What was your memories of your first day at the footy club? Is this? Big gangly operator with a pretty loose haircut, thinking oh, I'm a good footballer. You walk in there, like w- what hit you between the eyes? I was scared. I was actually, I was so scared because, um, yeah, I guess the media pumped me up a fair bit before I went there, and I guess from the outside people would think that, but I was scared because we had about 15 Premiership players still in the in the side from 2006. So uh, some of these guys were my childhood heroes. I'd have their posters on my wall or. They'd come and visit me when I was in primary school and, and run footy clinics. So I was uh, I was very nervous. And I thought, how the hell am I going to get a game? There's guys like Dean Cox, Quinton Lynch, Mark Seabee all in front of me and a, f- a couple of other younger ruckmen. I thought, I'm no chance. I'm going to have to try and learn how to play forward pocket. But I found my way. <laughs> <laughs> I found my way. <laughs> Your first game, mate. Uh, what are we talking it was, I've got it written down here. The Rich, I, played against, I played against Richmond. I played against Richmond at Etihad. It was, it was Ben Cousins' first game back against West Coast. Uh, right. Yeah, that, was a, that was a big moment. Also arriving tonight with Butterflies are a couple of high-profile draft picks playing their first games. For the Eagles, it's Nick Natanui taking a pick number two. As if it's not nerve-wracking enough playing your first game to have... You know, one of the greatest footballers of your footy club playing against you in the centre bounce and you're wearing his old number and he's gone out on controversial terms. It was um, the media behind the whole thing was, oh, it was the worst thing ever. It was a night game as well. So normally if you have a game at 10 or 11 o'clock, you just wake up, have your breakfast, you play. I just sit in my hotel room in Melbourne uh, for, you know, till about 5pm before we drove on the bus to the game and, oh, nerves, 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 nerves. I don't reckon there's a, no any bigger build-up um, to any game that I've ever had um, since that game. Maybe the grand final, but I think that game was definitely up there. Just to take it one step back, did you ever have a day in the juniors, no time for modesty? You're in the ruck, but did you ever have a day where you just kicked a massive bag? Was there a day where it was like, oh, wow, or not? No, I didn't. My, my junior footy club and even my, my Swan Districts days at, at, um, at Waffle level and my Colts under-18s level, we had some genuine superstars that went on to play AFL footy, so I was the worst of the lot. Uh, funny enough, like I remember my Colts, my you know my junior team under 16s, under 17s as well at Swan Districts. We had half of the AFL in our side, so right. I stood out because of my skin and my hair and my height, but <laughs> not for my footy abilities. There was a lot. There's probably about 12 guys in front of me that um, that were a lot better. So no bags for me. I'll take you to your second game, and I'm going to pull up this little story again. So your second game against Hawthorne. <laughs> you kick three in the final quarter. Got away from Kennedy. Oh, but with clean hands, he had an easy goal. With unclean ones, he had a difficult shot. Matanui's come back. Can he do the miraculous? He does! He 
just about got the Eagles there. Murphy, oh, muck that one up. Oh, he's away. Runs to 45, and he dribbles one through. This teenager has lit up Subiaco Oval in the last quarter. This is, this is you and your mum again, just reminiscing. So this wouldn't have been that long ago after we'd done the interview. would have been probably weeks before. Uh, this is where you sort of stamped yourself. That's a new come back. Can he do the miraculous? He does! And it puts the Eagles in front! That was a good week. <laughs> when he kicked those goals. No, I think I just thought of probably Peter Swimich. Um, you know, he said, you've done stuff all day. I just thought, you know, I'm going to get myself into the game. That was pretty silly to try bouncing in the wet. Lucky enough, it came back to me. It's great kicking the goal. Um, you know, just it was probably my, yeah one of my best memories as well in football so far. It's a tough game. <laughs> the fourth on game we were talking about Campbell Brown was playing on it. Yeah. Oh. And who will get used to that throughout his career? Annoying defenders, annoying Raymond. Campbell Brown, one of the best at it. How's that for a mum? <laughs> I took those discs to Fiji. What are you doing to our grandson? You know, all the old <laughs> people there, you know, like screaming and thing when, um, when Brown was, like, pushing him. I think even my brother, they all play rugby, so when you see, when mum shows him camel Brown hitting me, they think, you're a little girl, you know, hitting back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that's, that's so that's true. That's your second game. It, seem, it seems like a lifetime ago. Was um, ages ago. What is, it, it's a broad question. Like if, if you're if you're sitting there now, speaking to to me, and you had some advice for yourself about footy and what it's all about, what would you say to yourself as a 19 year old, which is what you were then? Oh, probably advice I still haven't taken to this day: get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those gale force winds that day, and my hair nearly came off. Look at his teammates. Rain. You cannot <laughs> believe how heavy the downpour is at the moment. That Nui's wig's going to blow off. <laughs> Oh, it was, um, no, nah, probably just enjoy footy. I, I remember that game. I hadn't touched the footy really much up until that last quarter and then uh, kicked three goals and was carrying on like a like a rock star after the game. <laughs> but I, um, yeah, it was funny because I know Campbell Brown really well now and I was at a wedding yeah. with him last year and I stood next to him and I thought, oh, I let you come and hit me around. Look how small you are. Uh, I just wish I just... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He was a lot older than me, but uh, the enforcer, the enforcer. It was so funny looking back at that. You mentioned the hair. Uh, it's nice that you listen to the show. So a couple of young kids in my house, and my, and they often I have to show them who the people are. But when I said Nick Nat's on, you know, there was genuine excitement at breakfast this morning. Um, they're like a lot of kids. They love watching what you do. So firstly, you get the question from my nine-year-old, Mac, but he operates as the big penguin. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm Nat, big penguin here. First of all, I love your hair and I wish you were playing for the Hawks because <laughs> you would make a big impact on our team. I've got long hair as well and if it's over my shoulders when I'm at school, i got to put it in a hair tie. So I don't have it over my shoulders, but maybe I hide a bit of it under my hat. Anyway, has your coach ever pressured you to cut your hair? Because it's happened to me. <laughs> Great question. 
What do they do? They make them hide their hair if it's past their shoulders. Yeah, mate, past shoulders. Uh, She's got to get trimmed. That's discrimination, I reckon. <laughs> I think it's un-Australian as well, but um, I hope my wife's not listening at this point. Oh, some of the mullets getting around. I reckon he should be right. <laughs> I um, No, I've, I've been asked a fair few times to cut my hair, um, whether it's through charities or through certain events. But the coach, I think... I'm not well renowned of taking too many marks throughout the game, and he and he sort of had a theory that it might have been my hair for a while getting in my eyes, but right, I don't I don't think it is that. <laughs> Did he actually come out and say maybe you should get it trimmed and this won't happen? Maybe or was should, it a, was it? No, he just said cut the thing off, cut it off. So <laughs> I um, I still haven't taken that advice, but I'm going to keep it for a, a few more years. I was given that same advice at the start of the cricket season after not getting a haircut in nine months of lockdown, and I'm really disappointed that I buckled. I'm really disappointed in myself that I buckled. You should have so kept it. I should have, and next time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow your advice. Mate, let's talk about a few more things about the documentary. Um, your sleeping habits away from home. <laughs> Uh, for those that haven't seen the doco, it was one of my favourite parts of it. You're better telling the story than me. Yeah, I sleep on the floor, funny enough. I, I always have and uh, I'm not going to lie, sometimes I do stay in the bed, but it's rare. I just find the floor, there's there's more space. You can lay whichever way you want. Um, depending on where I am, though, I'm pretty particular. So as much as I say I lay on the floor, I'm pretty particular where I lay. If it's in a hotel, I'll put a blanket down the ground first because you just don't know who's been doing what on those those carpets. So uh, I'll do that. <laughs> um, at home, at home, I do it. If it's really hot, I'll lay in the tiles in the kitchen. Sometimes, like I slept in the kitchen last Tuesday. I reckon it was too hot, and I do have an aircon. I do have a fan, but something about the floor that just I don't know. I enjoy it. I think it's a Fijian thing. I know a lot of family members that sleep on the floor, and even for us, like your couch in your house. If you go to a Fijian household. There's always a couch in your living room and it's not to sit on you. Everyone always walks in and you sit on the ground in front of it. It's like the, you know, if you go to a, a Yugoslavian or Italian house and they have that lounge room that's yeah. not a usable lounge room, it's just a lounge room with a plastic cover. It's perfectly set out. It's there for show. It's, um, so a bit like my bed. My bed's for show at the moment. It's just a, an ornament in my room. It's not uh, for use. I don't, I don't want to embarrass you. The thing that I really enjoyed is that in the morning you pack it up so the staff, so the staff don't have to do it for you after you. Yeah, bit of that bit because I don't like people. I always clean my room before the, the cleaners come in. I don't clean it amazingly, but I clean it enough so their job doesn't have to be any harder than what it is. Yeah. But also because I don't want them to think, what is this weirdo doing down here? Why is there blankets and pillows <laughs> on the floor? So I make my bed and yeah, and then get on with my day. The Black Lives Matter movement that exploded around the world came to pass during last year's football season and Adam gets up the front, your coach, and he says, well, I'm not exactly sure how to address this and he talks through it about what can we do? We can pull up our mates that are casually saying things, which resonated with me and he hands over to you in a team meeting to talk to the boys about the T-shirts you're going to wear. Nick, do you want to just touch on what we're doing before the game, mate, with the... T-shirts? Uh, just for the Black Lives Matters um, movement, every AFL club's doing something uh, just to show a sign of solidarity. So we'll wear black T-shirts in the warm-up. I'm not sure if there's anything else added to that. I think Gold Coast are doing something similar. Um, boys, I don't get too deep on this sort of stuff. Um, it breaks your heart a little bit, what you see. The only thing I can think of doing from a protest point of view is we've all got a mate or a family member that doesn't quite get racism and it's generational. 
And the only thing I think I can do personally is every time I hear someone say something that's out of line, even if it's your best mate or your dad or your mum, is you just got to pull them up. Just don't let things slide. Just don't accept it. What was your feelings from what you were seeing around the world at the time? Yeah, it's pretty sad. It was pretty, um, pretty, yeah, emotional scenes we were seeing around the world um, during that period, and some of the marching and things like that. I just, I thought it was warranted. I thought it was relevant, and it probably divided a lot of people as well. Some of the opinions, but I think the way Simo summed it up with pulling people up, I think the casual side of things are. We're all guilty of it. We all casually joke about certain things. And um, he's made the football environment one where you're not casually saying something. And I think I've always, you know, words never really hurt me too much. And at times you let people get away with certain things. But just having an environment where you don't have to pull people up all the time, it's not happening, um, just makes it a safe and comfortable environment. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good initiative by the AFL to, to think of showing, you know, a uh, a sign of solidarity and bringing everyone together. And, uh, you know, it probably meant more to myself, you know, being a person of colour that, you know, a sport in this country was, was willing to do that. I know it was a heavily publicised thing in America and probably wasn't as big here in Australia. But then, you know, we sat down with our players and, you know, in particular our Indigenous players um, and speak to them, what it meant to them and how they felt with some of the police injustice um, and some of the things they've had to deal with in their lifetime, um, in particular playing footy. Like Liam Ryan was and myself have been big ones of copying racial vilification on the field and, um, you know, on social media a fair bit. So um, I understood what it was all about and I worked with children every day and I thought, you know, I had a key part to play in it. Um, you know, I have, I have a Nat Nui Academy where we work with a lot of multicultural children and I think at the grassroots level we're pretty good. Uh, some of the older people that kind of still need to be educated, but to show... Um, you know, what we did, and I think it's documented in the Amazon um, series, yeah. um, every team doing it, every team getting on board and no one really standing against it was, um, you know, was something that I was very grateful the AFL did. When you mentioned that at times the words hadn't hurt you, I was fortunate enough to feature on the show recently a fellow called Love Morton Dole, who's a boxer, yep. Australian world champion, who grew up in South Africa and grew up under the yoke of apartheid. And my question's... I didn't have the experiences to ask him proper questions about it, to be completely honest with you, Nick, but he was explaining to me in his eyes what racism does to you as a person, as a community. What does it do to you if you get that dickhead, bigot, ignorant, you choose the term, person that sends you something of a racial matter? What effect does it have? Yeah, it makes you feel really, oh, what's the word, insignificant, really small. Uh, for me, it used to make me really angry. Like I used to, I guess, resort to violence or resort to anger and, um, you know, backlash. And that was my way of expressing myself. But now it's down the path of educating and, and making people aware. I think that the more people, I always feel the more people get to know me as a person and what I'm about and my culture. And, you know, even though I am a dark skinned person, I think that helps other people of, of colour as well. And I think the more of us doing it, you know, allows people to, I guess, just know what you're about and not be fearful of, of colour or not see you in a certain way. And I think that's probably why I wrote a children's book. I wrote a children's book about accepting differences but accepting different cultures and different backgrounds because we are all different. And I think the kids, like to be honest, I think the kids these days are pretty well aware of, of multiculturalism and there's not 
a heck of a lot of racism. And I, I think when I was at school, it was there. Like playing footy early days was one of the hardest things for me because I get called every name under the sun. Uh, even at AFL level, my first couple of years, I was getting racially vilified um, on field. You know, I get supporters when I stand in the goal square, call me a black so-and-so, this, this and this. And um, my social media, I, I'm not going to lie, my social media, I still get it. I still get probably one or two a week um, when, when the season's on. Uh, people, you know, saying, you know, people like me don't belong in the game. Um, you're black so-and-so, go back to wherever, get back on your boat, um, things like that. And, yeah, I used to be the guy that used to screenshot it and post it and say, you know, enough is enough. But I learned that I don't want to re- want to really give them a voice. I don't want to showcase them or their their profiles. And um, yeah, I think I thought I sat down with my management company and I said, what's a way we can, you know, help express my views or some of the things I do without making it so, I guess, in your face or in a, in a negative way. And that's where the children's book came about. And we thought, let's just keep educating. The more we can educate and you know, you know, I'm I'm pretty. Oh, how do I say it? I'm a realist when it comes to these things too. Like, you're not going to change everyone, and I think some people get caught up at times thinking, you know, this old eighty year old guy down the road is a racist. You know, he shouldn't be able to do this and this. And I don't think it's right. But sometimes some people are just set in their ways. And you know, if I throw a ball with my right hand for thirty odd years, it's going to be hard to change that. So, you know, you might be able to teach me a little few things to throw in my left hand, but. I'm always going to revert back to my right. So I always think, yes, they are in the wrong mindset or the wrong mind frame because of the way they've grown up, the era they've grown up in and what they've seen. Um, but I think getting the younger, the youth, you know, the grassroots level and educating them, um, they'll slowly have more of a voice anyway when these older people are too elderly to talk and have a, have a voice. So that's always been my mindset. It's an interesting analogy you use, and I said we're lucky enough to have a lot of kids listen with their parents. So... What's the book called? What age group is it at? And I can obviously buy it now. Yeah, Little Nick's Big Day. I feel bad trying to plug my own book on here. Little Nick's Big no, Day. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> little Nick's Big Day is the name of my book. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been out in stores for a little bit now. And um, we're looking at making a part two, actually. But, um, yeah, it's just about, like I said, accepting different cultures, different diversities, uh, you, know, you know, understanding that some people have disabilities as well. So um, it, it covers a broad range of things and, um, and just about having fun and like I said I think children do it well children in the play um, yard at school they they make friends regardless of you know colour or, or what people are about they just you know if you if you have a common interest they'll do it either way so I just wish we had the same sort of book for, for adults that could just hit yeah. home just as, just as well but maybe that's that's the next thing on the list I was about to say maybe maybe that's your next project hey a couple of incidents on the footy field I want to ask you about we've talked about some tough times 2015 mark of the year versus <laughs> Geelong. Full goal, look at Matt no! oh, He took his armchair with him and sat <laughs> up on top, Nick Natanui. What about the view from up there for Nick Nats? And look at them stand on their feet. We all enjoyed the mark ride. Of the year. What'd you win? Do you win a car? <laughs> you set me up here, you know this. <laughs> I am. Nah, I am. Um... Yeah, I've always been a big one for the mark of the year. I could always take a big mark as a kid. I could jump pretty high, like you know. So yes. for me, I always thought, you know, I never, I never owned a car. My family, like my mum, didn't drive, so we never owned a car. So imagine being, you know, what was I, uh, early twenties, and yep. you know, and then you take this mark of the year, and still a few rounds to go, and you're thinking, I, I walked out thinking I had a car at the time. I'm thinking I'm giving this car away 
to my brother or something because I'm getting a brand new Toyota Prado or Hilux or whatever it is because I actually I'd actually met Ashley Sampy beforehand um, you know earlier in my career and you know he'd taken a few mark of the years and, and got um, you know got a couple of those and I thought you know what I'm getting one of those so I'd, I'd be I'd, I remember going home googling what color I wanted what type I'm gonna get <laughs> And then I get a phone call saying, uh, you've won a year's supply of wheat bix and uh, <laughs> so I um, oh it's so deflating. Nothing against wheat bix but just it's that and the car, just um yeah, it just it hurt, mate, it hurt. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad you're finding fun out of this and you're uh, you're enjoying it because at the time I could have cried. I'm not gonna lie to you. It sounds very selfish of me, but I've always thought one thing I could do, I'm not gonna kick goal of the year, but I might take Mark of the Year, and I thought, yeah, here comes a brand new spanking car in the driveway, but Wheat Bix. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. talking about Wheat Bix, now you get the question from my daughter, Sky. She's 11. Her nickname is The Pickle, and it's relating to what you were just talking about, mate. Here we go. <laughs> Hi, Nick Nat, Pickle here. You're a really big, strong dude, and I'm a really little, short dude, and I really want to be taller. What do you have for breakfast to fuel your big muscles? <laughs> Wheat mix. <laughs> I um no, I'm pretty. I chop and change. I'd like. What do I eat a lot of? I eat a lot of raisin toast, but I don't reckon that fuels me to grow anymore. I think probably more my dinner time or lunchtime and my veggies is the one that gets me going. But I eat a lot of different food as well. So uh, we have a lot of vegetables that aren't like cassava and taro as well. That a lot of I guess Polynesian and Melanesians eat, but. Those are probably the things that make us all grow so big. Right, I'm going to get her on to the cassava tonight <laughs> at dinner. Back to Nick Nat in a moment. For those that love their footy AFL style, if you missed it, go back and check out episode 70 of the show featuring former star player and now coach Nathan Buckley. Yeah, you know, I, I just believe that if I put my head down, bum up and worked, that I, that I would earn respect you know, whatever, in whatever shape or form that came in, from the coaches, from players, from from supporters. Because um, there, there was a lot of cr- criticism um, of me at that time. There was a lot of um, um, I was labelled, you know, as, a, as an arrogant kid who, and that's all I was. Um, you were labelled with a pretty horrible nickname too. At yeah, the, the Fig Jam came through. That was when I was in Brisbane. I hadn't actually heard it until it was in the paper. Um, but... And that was, and that sort of stuck for quite a while. But see, I haven't heard that for 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 so long. And and what I I suppose my only, um, I suppose what I believe is that if you if you stay true to yourself and you just go about if you if you if you go about your business the best that you can and you um, go about it the right way, eventually, eventually, I think that people notice that. Eventually people will understand that and will understand you. That's Nathan Buckley on episode 70 of the show. Let's get back to Nick Nat. My favourite shot in the whole doco is you walking out of the cryotherapy chamber, whatever that is, at minus 100, however. It's like, for those that are fans of Star Wars, there's it looks like you are hand Solo when he comes back. I think it's in The Empire Strikes Back when Jabba the Hutt lets him out of the, the freezing... It's my favourite shot. What if he doesn't survive? He's worth a lot to me. The Empire will compensate you if he dies. Put him in. But it got me thinking, you've done two knees. You, you're a big man that has to get... Like, I don't know, what are you, what's your playing weight? 
About 110. So yeah. you're getting around that ground at 110 kilos. Talk to me about professional AFL preparation for you. Yeah, prep's massive. And I, I probably took it for granted, you know, um, early days because I, I wasn't injured too much. And, yeah, doing two knees you, you, and you get a bit older, you start to discover new ways to, to get through. And hub life was probably a, a big eye-opener as well. We're playing games every four or five days, which is quick turnarounds and, uh, you know, trying to fit in training. So I just developed a routine, I, I think, to um, not only keep myself fit and healthy, but to safeguard my knees from getting injured again. So... Uh, whether it's additional massage, I had a. <laughs> this is going to sound real, like a real. I'm going to sound like a real drama queen, but I, uh, uh, I had my own little massage guy come across with me to the hub. <laughs> so, yeah, Nick, that new uh, massager came to the hub. No, yeah, you've got carried yeah. away now. Ma- you, yeah, you've got it. You've so, gone beyond now. <laughs> yeah. So, so Marty, Marty Davis is his name. He, he actually he helped out a few other boys, but he was there on hand for me for the, the whole hub. And um, yeah, I just. I, I do things like that. I get massages as, as often as I could. Um, I do extra stuff with our physios, whether it's mobility uh, and, and some of those things like you did see in the docker, like the cryotherapy and ice stuff. I go to the beach a lot as well just to go jump in the ocean. Uh, I think that just – I think you've, you've got to find those little ways to, you know, prolong your career, especially when you get into the, the back end of it. What does the cryotherapy chamber do? You, you need to watch this doco to see what I'm talking. It's only about a five-second shot, but I think on the outside it's like minus 120-something. Like how cold is it when you get in there? Yeah, they reckon it takes away all your soreness, but I don't think it does. I think it just freezes you enough to not even realise what is sore <laughs> or what is even working anymore. So um, I don't know, a lot, a lot of smoke and mirrors with that thing, but it's probably like jumping in the ice bath. Like okay. we get in the ice baths every day and I think it does exactly the same thing just in a shorter amount of time, but... You can't stay in there too long because I think yeah your extremities will just will just fall off because it's um it is that cold yeah you have to give it a go. <laughs> oh geez, mate, I don't I don't know if I'm built for that. So of your of your of your teammates, you know you you heard in his heyday of Gary Ablett weighing his food that was a, that was a well told story. Which of your teammate sets the bar and what do they do as far as professionalism to get themselves ready to give it their best shot? Oh, who's out there? There's some guys with some real weird um, Is preparation. Um, oh, actually, Josh Kennedy. He's a he's a different guy. He's got a um, he does those float tanks, the salt, the magnesium float oh, yeah. tanks. So he's yeah. actually he does them before every game. Well, he didn't get to do them too much last year because of um, because of the hub and the coronavirus situation. But he'd go whether we go to Melbourne, he'd go and sit in the float tank and um, and float for an hour or so just to switch off before every game um, and as a recovery mm-hmm. as well and. He ended up loving it that much that he ended up investing in, in a company over here that, that does them. So he has his own float tank um, company here in Perth. So, um, yeah, that's probably the most out there one. Wasn't that – was it – you probably don't even remember. I think it was Rebbington Shavers and the old bloke was like, I loved it so much, I bought the company. <laughs> <laughs> similar, similar to what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, I don't know if they're real, those guys. I reckon they're just being paid to say that. <laughs> Hello, I'm Victor Kayam. I used to be a dedicated wet shaver until my wife bought me this Remington M3 electric shaver. They said it's two incredibly thin, flexible microscreens and 120 cutting edges would shave as close as a blade or they'd give her her money back. I was delighted and impressed. So impressed, I bought the company. Okay, take me to round eight, 2013. You're behind against the kangaroos. You're stationed deep. Kick comes in. <laughs> It's controversial. I don't know whether it was a free kick or not from Adam Selwood who kicked the ball in. He got tackled around the neck. We were known as being the ducking side. Everyone was ducking their heads back then. Yes. Uh, the, yep. the Luke Shoeys, Ashton Hams, the Selwoods. 
even I probably got a few duck in the free kicks. But I um, yeah, I marked the footy. Selwood about 70 metres out, sends it long down towards full forward. Matt Nui! Oh, Matt Nui, hold all week. <laughs> Rob Scott said he couldn't believe it. Wow, isn't that amazing? I mean, that was just... That was sheer thing. How could anyone mark that? But if you can jump as high as he can jump, I guess you just jump on the pack trap. It's a couple of times there. He's had that beautiful run. Oh, able to yeah. jump at the footy. That's fair, Mark. I turned around and uh, I always remember the vision. I watch it back every now and then. And, you know, I, I remember Coxie comes over to me and goes, you know, go back and go through your routine. He may kick after the siren. The pressure is palpable. And then in the background, I see Daniel Kerr down on his arms and legs just going, like holding his head. And I'm thinking, why was he doing that? So I actually followed up and asked him and he said, oh, out of all blokes to mark the footy, I don't ever want a big dopey ruckman marking it to win the game after the siren. So I... um. Yeah, that, that was a good humbling experience, but uh, I showed him in the end what, what I can and what I can do and what I can achieve, and yeah, it went through luckily enough. Nick Nattenoy, star billing all week. The outmastered Manjack Door, a miss for the Eagles to outlast North Melbourne at the very last gasp. And he's put it through. Eagles win. A remarkable game of football. High fives all round. And they come from everywhere, the West Coast Eagles teammates, to celebrate with Nick Natanui. Uh, it's funny because um, uh, I've got the Natanui Academy that um, is over here in yes. Perth. And, and uh, the last couple of years, Drew Petrie's been working for, for us. and um, Awesome fella. But he was the guy that was standing on the mark when it happened. So I always asked him, what did that feel like? And he's still upset to this day that, um, that I was able to take a pack mark and kick the goal after the siren to win. Said it was a long flight home back to Melbourne. <laughs> is it everything we all dream of in in the backyard? Oh, and more, and more. I, I think, yeah, as every childhood um, kid does, you you sit in your backyard, you keep the winning goal after the siren. It's funny because I always think, oh yeah, uh, it's a great thing to do. But then Jeremy McGovern comes up to me and says, oh, I've done it. Nice set, high ball is deep. McGovern, McGovern has taken the mark. He saw. But he's got to have the shot. After the siren, Hutto. After the siren. The siren sounds. Paul fans can't bear to watch. And they've got 28 points at one stage. But the perfect storm has erupted. Injuries came and then the West Coast Eagles. And Jeremy McGavin has kicked the goal for the Eagles after the week they've had. And then you get boys like Luke Shuey who goes, oh, that's cute. I've done it in a final. So, <laughs> the season down to this. Extra time. Shuey taken high by Pollock. Free kick. Free kick for Luke Shuey. Luke Shuey kicks after the siren in extra time to send the West Coast Eagles on in season 2017. So it's not as good anymore. I thought it was the greatest thing ever, but now there's guys that have surpassed me. Um, but I always tell them, I've done it twice. I did it against GWS on my left foot as well. So <laughs> With about four was, seconds on the clock. Yeah, there you go. So I'll let them know that as well. But uh, well, <laughs> hopefully everyone gets to experience at some stage of their career. Got to bring the ball straight down if you're GWS. You don't want it clearing the contest straight down. A goal and they win it. 
That's where you Nat want it. Nui, he gets the kick. Oh, yes. oh my goodness. Is this one to remember? Hey, mate, I won't hold you up for too much longer. It's a, it's a fascinating chat and I'm enjoying it even more than I thought I would and I knew I would love it. I am going through what can only be described at the moment as a tortured journey trying at my age with no background to learn to play the guitar. <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I cannot sing. And then I watch Making Their Mark and all of a sudden a bloke that's a very good footballer and a, a well-rounded figure in the community, <laughs> he just grabs a guitar and belts out a tune and I showed it to my wife and she's just like, wow. And I'm thinking, wow, is there anything he can't do? <laughs> How long have you been playing the guitar? Have you had singing lessons or is that just natural talent? No, I, I don't really play. I don't really, I just, I don't know. I just, uh, it's just a hobby. I don't know. I know nah, I've never had any lessons of anything. I, uh, I guess the only lessons you do get is just sitting around with family or I've got a very music, music, um, musically orientated family. So every Islander can sing, every Islander can play an instrument, whether it's the piano or playing the triangle, whatever it is, you can make a beat. So no, nah, I don't know what I was doing. I'm a bit nervous about that coming out because what did I, I sang a bit of Adele, I think. <laughs> Mate, it, it is spectacular. Oh, it's spe- don't worry about what you no, sung. No, I was no. sitting there going, oh, this bloke can do everything. No, I, um, yeah, I just like to have a bit of fun with the instruments every now and then. There's a few um, talented guys on our team. I think they might have got a bit of um, Brendan Archie playing the guitar as well. He's um, He goes all right. So. The electric guitar. The electric guitar. He, he's like, I I'm, I don't get past the third fret. He's up on like the 12th fret, that lad. Yeah, so he's um, that, that's talent. Yeah, my stuff's just a bit of fun, but that's actually proper talent. The other thing, the, the last thing I want to ask you about the doco is obviously the Riley O'Brien. For those <laughs> that are not familiar with the story, an Adelaide Ruckman, he was pumping himself up about how he was going to beat you and somehow sent out his notes to social media and it was interesting because you get to see both sides of the story. Have you heard about Birdo? Birdo's phone's broken, right? But he's been using it and he keeps his notes and that on his phone. He's typed in his oppo notes. West Coast, Nick Nat, you know, obviously dominant, right? Unfit, can't run, blah, blah, blah. You know, trying to get himself, what's, where am I gonna get my advantage? Because this guy's a gun, number one ruck in the comp. Something's gone wrong with his phone and it's posted it on Twitter. Which basically means it's, it's a little tiny fire in maybe some, a brush fence. From the outside, you took it as a laugh and as a joke, but your coach brings it up during the week and he talks about the fact, Nick, he called you lazy and unfit. Simo, even Simo's calling me about it. Yeah, mate. Hey, mate, how are you? <laughs> I thought if I give him a response, he'll be, you know, he feels like he's rested a bit, but I'll, um, no, I might as well let him sweat in it. Mate, I'll leave it to you. Um, yeah, but, yeah, try and think about what he's thinking yeah. in terms of putting mm-hmm. about him as a bloke. No. Nah. Anyway. Yep. Eddie Betts messaged me. Eddie must have played with him for a number of years at Adelaide, saying, ha ha, please don't hurt him too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you make your bed, you can lay in it now. There's two things you can do about this. You can laugh about it, or basically you can go and smash him. Bright sunshine, blue skies, perfect conditions at the Gabba for this round six clash between the West Coast Eagles 
and the Adelaide Crows. Big game this one. Yeah, they've come to hunt us. I've got no doubt. Nick, I don't know what you want to do about that, mate. I mean, I know part of you accepts it, but part of you wants to rip his head off. I reckon go with the second one. All right? Um, don't give this bloke an out. He's up. All right? It's disrespectful. How, how do you... Like, you couldn't have handled it better publicly, but privately... Like, he stuffed up, but he admitted that. Yeah. Um, I th and yeah. he owned that. I enjoy it. I think it's good when players do things like that. Like, it just brings more to the game. Otherwise, it's a boring old game. Like, yeah, someone wins, someone loses. But, yeah, for me, it was um, it was funny because I think it just brings something extra to, to the game and, and to the sport. And, yeah, he did stuff up. But at the same time, I was like, this is fun now. Now it's a bit more exciting. Otherwise, it's just going to be another game. I think Adelaide hadn't won. You know, they might have won one game or so at, at that stage. And I thought... Everyone's going to think, oh, he's West Coast versus a team that hasn't won a game, but now there's a bit more to it. And I think internally I was I was pretty angry. I wanted to rip his head off, to be honest. Like, I was so angry. Um, I just finished watching the Last Dance documentary. And remember Michael Jordan spoke about it. He didn't need much, but someone did something small and he'd use it as ammo to, yep. to get him going. And <laughs> I think I had a bit of that mindset in my head. I thought, you know what, if I need something to... We do prep cards every game. I think every player must do it. They have prep cards about what they're going to do, what they're going to achieve and what they want to get out of the game. I didn't have a prep card, a prep card up to that stage, and um, you know I think his his notes was all I needed for my prep card. I just said, you know what, just do, just prove him wrong. That was all it was, and uh, yeah, gave him a phone at the end of the day so he didn't make that mistake again. But yeah, I think internally behind closed doors, uh, I couldn't wait to get out there and play. I think they might have shown a bit of it in the docker as well. Yeah. Yeah, they did. It's 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 fascinating. But tell me about a prep card. What does it do, and what are you? Do you write it yourself, and what do you typically put on it? Yeah, I normally sit down with a coach and go through, um, you know, what you want to do um, as a team, but what you want to do individually. So um, I sit down and watch a mountain of video. I have a book that I keep of, of probably somewhere in this room um, of every ruckman. So whether they've played a game of football or not, um, AFL level football or not, I have notes on all of them and I'm pretty old school I'd write it down I used to do it with Coxie Dean Cox when he was at the club and uh, yeah I'd write down whether it's Max Gorn or Brody Grundy or uh, whether it's a, a young kid coming through in his first year and he's potentially going to play in the next few weeks I'd go and write a page of notes on their strengths their weaknesses and, and ways I can try and expose them so uh, yeah I, I take that really serious I don't share it with too many people too often uh, I'll share it with fellow Ruckman but I'm careful of which type of ruckman I share it with. Like, for instance, Tom Hickey, I share some of the stuff with him, but now he's at the Sydney Swans. So I, uh, I kind of get worried about that kind of stuff. So I'll show the young boys, but I won't show too many of the older guys. Hey, Matt, I've only got a couple more questions for you. We mentioned earlier on that you it's obvious from your mum to, to help those in need. Uh, I was reading a story that you took some cookies to Drew Petrie when he got stood down and took some cookies to a lot of the staff that had been stood down and that really touched me. I'm fortunate enough to have spent a fair bit of time in Africa uh, and I visited Uganda, I spent a bit of time in Uganda and you had a world vision child in Uganda. But what really got me was reading the article, Nick, if you could explain it to me, there's a selection process where they select you. It really touched me. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, yeah, I've been involved with world vision for a number of years and I went to Kenya with them. Uh, two years ago and that was a big eye-opener for me just to go and see a village with no water like I, I've always known um, poverty and I've always known um, kids that have been malnourished but to have no water that's a whole new ball game so that was a big eye-opener and I thought I'd always choose a kid from from one of those places 
um, to be a sponsor child. But yeah, the way that they flipped the script and said, you know what, we're going to put a bunch of faces up there and get the, ch- the child to choose you um, to be there um, to sponsor them was um, was massive for me. And to be to be honest, I was nervous. I was pretty scared. I thought yeah. that'll be the last one picked. But yeah, this this young child came and chose me and um, out of Uganda, and oh, it's amazing. I think that stuff is something I've always been proud to do and, and like I said, it always puts things into perspective, especially when times are getting tough and it's probably the best time right now with coronavirus and, you know, we're always whinging about not being able to do things and have these privileges all the time but I always reflect back to, to how they're living back there and think, you know what, we haven't got it all too bad after all. I've mentioned a few times, mate, we're lucky to have a lot of kids listen to the show. You've achieved success in your life professionally in sport, but I think people will listen, realise the uh, realise listening to this. You've achieved a lot of success in what you do away from the footy field. For the youngsters out there that want to write a book that you have done, or want to play footy, or want to be a scientist, or solve the next coronavirus coming our way, that's trying to achieve something in life. What advice would you give those ones out there that are listening at the moment? Oh, probably just to follow your dreams. Like I said before, dare to dream, aspire to inspire has always been my motto. And I think that's probably been the biggest thing. No matter where you come from, no matter what you have, you might have nothing at all. Uh, You can still make something of your life. And you might not go on to be the biggest and most well-known person in the world, but uh, I think if you can change one person's life with what you do, um, you know, it, it means a massive amount. So that's probably my biggest bit of advice. Mate, we've covered all sorts of topics. What's it been like to reflect it? It's, it's funny for me because we did it 10 years ago in a short form and I really appreciate your time and it's, it's a beautiful, warm, motivational episode, which is what the podcast is aimed at being. But what's it been like to you to reflect on all these different experiences you've had in your life, which we don't get to do typically in the modern world? Yeah, I think it's great. Like I, I remember the show, um, This Is Your Life. I reckon it's a bit of that. Yes. And, you yeah. know, you, you brought some things that I hadn't seen in the past before. You reminded me of things that I hadn't reflected on in years. And I think I'm going to go away from this and, you know, obviously tell everyone to go and listen to this. But I reckon I'll go and have a conversation with a couple of my mates after this and say, Man, remember when this happened? When this happened, how we spoke about this and that, and they and they've all got their own little reflections and memories of those times. So actually, yeah, it's been it's been an enjoyable, but also an amazing time as well. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that, mate. And and now that your manager doesn't ring you because <laughs> she's uh, she's dealing with Lewis Hamilton, <laughs> I, I'm I'm really stoked we've got this, um, mate. Congratulations on your involvement in the Amazon doco, making their marker. It's to me. You're the star of the show because you seem to always have a smile on your face, even when things are difficult. I loved seeing behind the scenes. Thanks for what you've delivered to the footy public and thanks for having a chat with me on the Howie Games, mate. I, I hope you have success and uh, I hope people listen to this and really understand what a warm-hearted man you are, mate. You're a good man and it's been great to have a chat with you. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, mate. Thanks very much. Nick Natanui. Hopefully you now get why I introduced him as a beautiful man. Hope you loved it. Hope your kids loved it. And thanks to Nick just for being himself and being prepared to talk about anything and everything. What a star that man is. Das pulled it all together as always. And to you all for listening, thank you for your continuing support of the show. Until next Thursday with Craig Johnston, which is an incredible story. You're going to love it. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Try, try, try
listener.